This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Hi, my name is Shami Mohamed. I am with Amadeus. I am part of the online America's team. What I love about travel is it's actually making a connection, connection with people, connection with the place, history, what it has to offer. And I'm glad to be part of the industry, actually, and see the whole ecosystem change. Hi, I am Ella Alkali Schreiber. I'm the VP of Data Science at Hopper, the travel app. And what I love about travel is that it clears your minds and expands your horizons. And in fact, I love backpacking a lot. I was backpacking for nine months through all South and Central America, and it was an amazing adventure. Data. It continues to be a huge topic for any brand to tackle, and of course that includes travel. But the jump from gathering data to turning it into action is another. Coming up, you'll hear from two leading travel experts on how they are leveraging data science and machine learning to maximize user acquisition and conversion from the aspects of traveler data that are most useful for certain aspects of buyer behavior to deploying data science across a large organization. You'll learn how industry leaders make data a priority and even an opportunity for market growth and international expansion. You're listening to Travel Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the travel and hospitality industry. All right. Hey, Shamim, Ella, thanks for coming on and hanging out with me today. How are you Hello. guys doing? <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Both in from Boston, right? Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. Yes. You know, Boston. my old stomping ground. I grew up around, around Boston. But like southwest of Boston, I can't really call myself Bostonian or anything. But anyway, we're here to talk about user acquisition. User acquisition is like lifeblood, life and death of a startup, definitely in the travel industry. Probably like the biggest problem most of the companies we work with have is user acquisition. You guys are doing some really interesting stuff, both as a you know technology provider and a distributor in the travel space around user acquisition. So I'd love to hear a little bit about how that's working. You guys have an incredible amount of data around travelers. So how can you leverage that to maximize more on the on the user acquisition size? Sure. Yeah, I can take that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with that giant question, I just... <laughs> <laughs> well, I think from Amadeus' perspective, we sit in a quite a unique position because we see lots of data from our partners the way that a traveler is searching, that all is coming through our platform. So we get tons and tons of data by the minutes, and we get to explore what is really happening in the industry. Things like we get to see how far in advance uh, someone is trying to search for where they're trying to go, mm-hmm. uh, how far in advance they're actually booking the type of the travelers, right? Whether it's a business traveler, whether, you know, someone like Allah, you're backpacking, <laughs> someone with a family, if you're traveling. So we get to see all of that. And we also get to see the type of travel that they are buying. And if there are any potential to upsell any of those as well. So again, it uh, puts us in a unique position. We get to see all of that. And we work with our partners to provide that feedback and see how we can actually maximize our revenue. 
So is that like when you're receiving it through partners, like distributors in, in this instance, is it largely anonymized and generalized or are you getting like specific customer data tracked all the way through for the booking down to their preferences? Like what's the level of data that Amadeus is able to collect versus say Hopper? Because I'm sure that allows you to do very different things with it, I imagine. Yeah, so it's mostly general, I would say, but there are also some customers that actually work with certain solution of ours that allows you to identify the segment of travelers and kind of tweak that in our system. But I would say maybe 75 to 80% of it are generalized. It's a sort of a playground, if you will. Uh, everybody comes in and they get to choose what they want to do in there. But I would say in the space today, the way it is segmented and uh, everyone is trying to acquire customers. It's cheapest mostly, so that's what we see uh, more of that trend. And then we see later down the funnel that how they actually try to maximize from their own. Got it. It's so interesting to be able to see that much market behavior across all the suppliers and distributors. What's it like for a hopper? I really want to get in depth with both of you about how you're crunching these numbers because this is just a massive amount of information, I'm sure, and a lot of inputs. But you guys have like a killer conversion rate. We talked about it as like 2.6 times what the average is or something like that. And it's based on predictive analytics or yeah. what's going on there? So when it comes to Hopper user acquisition and conversion, we think about conversion slightly differently. So if you think about it, in most of the OTAs, when you launch a different website and search for your flight or upcoming trip, they really need to convert you on this session base. And although Hopper, like basically makes money from bookings, right? And we want you to become a customer. 60% of the time when you search with us, we'll actually tell you to wait and not to book right away. And mm. this is fascinating, right? It's kind of like a conversion killer. I want you to convert, but I'm telling you, wait, like don't do that yet. Like yeah. watch a trip with us. And basically what data shows is that we build trust with the users, by preferring this long-term relationship that we build with the users and the ongoing conversation with the users over the, like, one first session conversion with the users. So, yeah, and in fact, users that we told them to wait with us and they watched and they saved because we empowered them with good travel decision are twice more likely to convert than users that installed our app and we told them to book right away. That's great. There's like probably a hundred channels you're using to try to target, right? <laughs> What's the chance that somebody's going to inevitably have a bad experience that they're going to get a larger charge on this? I mean, predictive analytics is, is, is exactly that. It's yeah, predictive. <laughs> right? this is so. a fascinating problem because it's also a very imbalanced problem. Mm. I'll tell you that way. Like, if you will search with us, and I'll tell you that you are very likely to save if you wait, and you ended up saving with us. You will tell three friends. But if I will tell you to watch with us, to wait, and you'll watch with us, and then you ended up paying more, mm -hmm. you will tell 10 friends. Right. And we'll leave a review in the App Store probably. It's like an NPS killer. Yeah, totally. Right? Net promoter score. Right. Yeah. So we definitely take it into account. Right now we are accurate 95% of the time. And we save, on average, 11% of the initial price. So that means that you will end up paying 11% less than the initial price that you first saw in the app when you first searched. So, I mean, like, it's basically like, hey, we're giving you roulette <laughs> to play on, <laughs> but, like, 95% of it's black. And so just, like, definitely bet on black. 
<laughs> yeah, because and because this is kind of like imbalanced problem, we better do no harm mm. in this sense. Our algorithms are accustomed to that. So I can definitely take a riskier version of the algorithm and increase the savings when you save with us, but that will also increase, very likely to increase the users that will end up paying more. So we balance that all the time. What kind of data could, say, Amadeus and Hopper leverage together to make like the most personalized experience for a consumer? Well, I mean, if I was to take a customer like Hopper, the way that you have built the relationship with your customer, the loyalty base, it's really quite unique. We could really leverage that. We could look at different ways how we could maximize maybe data sharing from our platform, what we see, help with the conversation process, and really understand the intent of the customer. So if that can be set ahead of time, at the time, just like there's a 95% possibility that they will win out if they were to purchase that, we also have things like what is the chance that if they were to get a price, that they will actually be able to book that, right? So we also are tracking all of that and averages like depending on the airlines, depending on the route that you are going to, we have a 99% bookability rate. So we can really work on that, right? We love customers like Hopper who can come in and then in terms of the, the data sharing, there is a lot of opportunities there to make sure that at the end of the day that the traveler is happy with the experience. Totally, like removing friction, basically, and make sure that once the user has the intent, they can actually book their travel. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, I think even beyond that, if I think about Hopper and Amadeus, I mean, Hopper is a marketplace, and in order to be a marketplace, you need to make sure that you have all the content that your customers are looking for. So we collaborate a lot with companies like Amadeus, and especially now when we want to expand internationally, Mm -hmm. right? So right now our user base is centralized in, like, North America, but we definitely want to expand internationally. So Amadeus becomes a key player in us having more content and also understanding better based on Amadeus data and historical data, how the market in terms of price and demand behaves uh, across time so we can continue to serve users with better travel advice. Since you mentioned internationalization, we are based in almost 190 countries. So our reach is quite global, of course. And because the way that we see the demand coming from everywhere, we can actually work on that phase as you're trying to go to a particular market to see what makes sense. So, yes, I think with the way that you guys are handling data, and maybe you may have other angle towards it, right? How do you select which market to go to? For example, what is the economic situation in that country, the political situation in the country, right? Mm -hmm. The psychological behavior of the customers over there. So if you can bring all that data in, you know, combined with, let's say, what the users are actually searching, I think there is definitely something that we can make Ultimately, you want to get the best return on investment anyway. So definitely there are partnership possibilities there. When you guys are looking at what markets to expand into, what are some of the things that are most attractive to you? Obviously, customers, right, travelers. <laughs> but like, there's obviously regulatory bodies to consider. There's, I'm sure, you know, cultural barriers and things to, to get over. Some of the things you were just describing, economic barriers. What would make it the least point of friction and, and what really would allow you to expand the fastest, do you think? Yeah, so that's a big question. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> the you data just call up Fred, be like, hey, Fred, what are you thinking? Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Um, so data science actually plays 
a key role in understanding where we want to expand. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that we do when we look at the different markets, opportunities, we try to understand what are the different growth levers, right? Mm -hmm. So there are markets where you need the unique inventory that this market has, right? So mm -hmm. if you think about different PCCs, Mexico is a good example where the prices, if you have like local PCC in Mexico are totally different than if you have just like the US one. So in order to start in Mexico, again, like as a marketplace, you need to make sure you have the right content and inventory. Mm -hmm. There's language barrier, Right. There's also the price prediction barrier. When it comes to Hopper, we want to make sure that if we launch market, we actually, on the side of the user, we actually serve the user with the right data advice and help them to save more. So price prediction quality is also key there. Interesting. And I've seen with some of our partners out of Voyager that they can see how certain markets are great test beds for others because they might have less traffic up front or maybe even later on, <laughs> depending on what's going on. It's interesting to see how those could be test environments for new booking paths, testing, you know, different types of things. And is that anything that you'd be able to assess up front from a data perspective? I guess the question I have is how can you really validate a market when you can't enter it without the inventory being plugged on like right away it has to be basically this giant robust launch right so how can you even test in a market to begin with and is data i guess is the indicator or yeah you can definitely test that so when you know what inventory you lack and you also know how based on other observations, how users behave when you introduce better inventory or in parity inventory, you can definitely understand how this will impact conversion. Right so now, you can do it iteratively. Yeah. It's, yeah. And eventually, when you understand that the potential market is good enough to move forward, you connect to this inventory and then like using A-B testing frameworks, you're able to actually understand if prediction is in line with reality. Hmm. Yeah, Amethyst could actually help also, let's say, uh, selecting all of that, right? So we do have different packages. So let's say you want to go to Mexico, right? So we can actually provide you information or even we can take a consulting approach and we can provide you some unique data. Let's say, you know, what are the top routes that are being searched, right? Perhaps we see that, let's say, from the users from U.S., right? There's a lot of data out there for that. But what about the users from Mexico, for example? This is where it comes to your point of sale data, let's say. So based on, if you are based in Mexico, if you have, let's say, an office based there, mm -hmm. you would see different inventory versus what you would see here, right? So uh, yes, we do have tons of data for sure, but how do you select the best of the data? And that's where we can actually work together because we do have a data science team mm -hmm. that if you say that you want to go to a certain market, then we can look at what is the landscape there. And we will run data and kind of see what makes sense, what sort of inventory that we can get, right? What sort of, again, bookability. We are thinking about the whole landscape in general. So I see tremendous value from Amadeus that we can provide that customers like Hover. I just saw like this like, comic strip somewhere probably on Instagram or something but uh, I think it was yeah we have a solution for that in this data I just don't know where it is or something <laughs> like that and like basically that's the perennial issue every year it's like oh yeah we have all this data what do we do with it and so <laughs> you guys really are actively making sense of some madness you, you you described it you can work with a hopper or somebody in market to help them figure out what the important inputs are what are some of the like more obvious data inputs that people should be thinking about when they're trying to expand into other markets or just generally speaking? Yeah, so Hopper was built on the premise of empower users with 
data advice and all our conversation with the user is based on data. So every day we archive billions of price itineraries from all across the web. And up today we have more than 50 trillion price itineraries and six years of historical data. So when you, for example, like search on the web for flight and you search this origin, destination, departure, return, and you see all the flight list with the different carriers and fare classes and departure time and ceilaries and limitations. So Hopper collects this data. Mm -hmm. And based on this data, we built all our knowledge about price and demand trends in the industry in different markets and how they change across time and year over year. This, of course, also led to the price prediction work where we basically, when user searches, predict the advanced curve of prices and tell you if we think that the price you see now is a good price for the trip that you plan or you better wait and score a better deal in the future. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of like the foundation of what we do. But at this point in time where we're at, when we have more than 40 million active users, I think that the actual powerful data is our user-based data. Mm -hmm. So we track every single interaction that we have with the users that is either triggered by the user. So for example, user sees this screen or user tap on that or user searches that or user booked something but also everything that we trigger. So we send the user notification, we add an error, and combining those two massive databases is actually the powerful place where you can start to understand how user base interacts with your inventory base. How big is your team? Uh, The Essence team? Yeah. We're 20 people. 20 people. Yeah. With that many inputs. I'm, I'm curious how many like, instances you <laughs> It's a dream job for a data scientist yeah. <laughs> to be a hopper. <laughs> I must say, there's so much data. I want to ask about if you're leveraging any machine learning in there, because I'm sure with a lot of... Of course. Yeah. But I want to also see, Shamim, are, you, are, are there like key data points out of the market behavior that you think are like, this is the one that everyone should be looking at? Yes. I guess it depends on who's asking, but, you know, (laughs) what do you see as the key indicator usually? Well, historically, traditionally, it's been uh, price, right? It really depends on, in today's world, everybody is triggered towards, well, where can you find the cheapest price, right? But then this is coming from, if we are looking at from the online perspective, right? Then depending on the other markets, you have to think about that as well. But because some of the users are actually shifting in online world, let's say they do have a corp tool, right, their mm-hmm. own, but maybe their policy allows them to come to this. So everybody's kind of looking at the online space. So when you actually acquire your customers through a meta channel, for, for example, right, mm-hmm. you get through the, the big gatekeepers. So you want to show the cheapest price, but... At the same time, you want to be relevant, right? I think the challenge is we can find the cheapest. Now, in terms of finding relevancy, partners like Hopper can really help. But if we can have that combination, right, then obviously we have tons and tons of ways for you to tweak your input query to actually provide the right right data. Just to give you some numbers, you know, we get about 1.5 billion search transactions a day, right? That's... that's <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that, right? <laughs> so multiply it by, you know, number of itineraries that you would have for each one, right? And then every second we get about 20,000 search queries coming in. So you have to think about the infrastructure. There's a lot of things that actually goes behind it. But yeah, all with all of this, we say you should focus on finding the cheapest, but at the same time, 
find opportunities to upsell, look at what an airline has to offer, right? Maybe combine those, try to differentiate, you know, for example, if you are a business traveler, when I'm coming from Boston to New York, right, I'm flying in the morning, right? I don't really care for the cheapest price, right? I want to ensure that I'm getting that flight, you know, at 5, 5.30, 6, 6.30, and not only on one single airline. I want to see across the board, right? Maybe I have mm-hmm. loyalty towards one. So all this data should really be looked at to figure out what should be the right option for your customers. Yeah, this actually reminds me an algorithm that we worked on at Hopper. It's actually live in the app where basically we model how much users are willing to pay extra over the cheapest flight for specific qualitative features of the flight. So, for example, if I'm flying to Israel. Like ancillaries and and upsells. Yeah, so not only ancillaries, also the departure time, the nonstop. So, for example, if I'm flying to Israel, okay, the cheapest flight will be 800, but it will be 24 hours flight, like a day of traveling. Right. I always feel gypped when I see one of those. If I like try to <laughs> test, I'm like, whoa, it's only that much to Mexico City. And then I'm like, oh, and it's, like, be it's a, forever. A 13 hour layover. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then if you look at it, the nonstop flight is a thousand dollar. So am I as Ella, like user at Hopper, willing to pay those two hundred dollars extra in order to save half a day and flight actually like 10 hours? So right now, based on the fact that we have all the observations of what users saw, versus what they ended up booking, were able to compute, given a specific user, Hmm. how much this user values the price over the time of departure, time of arrival, stops, duration, class. And right now we have the most recommended flight versus the cheapest flight. And the most recommended is personalized for the user, given the user context. And it's very, very powerful. And we definitely see, first, it increased conversion. So if we're talking about conversion, the easier you make it for the user to find what they're actually looking for, the easier it is for them to convert with you and to book the flight. And it also impacted the mix between the users that buy the cheapest flights versus users that buy more expensive but better quality flights. So interesting. I think we are really well aligned there because you know your customer really well. On our side, actually, we do have some options as well. Let's say a startup wants to come and really look into that, right? They don't really have much user-based data. We do have ways just like that is actually called the weight optimizer. We actually add uh, (laughs) how much you want to add for additional hours of travel time, right? For example, so we do apply that and figure out what makes sense for you for a business traveler, family, you know, versus Mm -hmm. a backpacker and all of that. So you can play around with that for sure. And also, let's say, maybe you are looking for the cheapest price, right? And there is indeed a 15 hours layover in between. Then you can look at other options like ancillaries, right? You may have lounge passes, right? You may want to spend, if you're in Hong Kong, for example, Singapore, you want to spend some time in there. So that's perfectly all right as well. So it's looking at the whole ecosystem, right? And then kind of find the right balance. And I think Hopper does a great job doing all of that. Shamim, I heard that you have something for us today. Could we nom on it? What did you bring us? Wow, let's see, let's see, let's see. Bali coffee? Ooh. It is coffee luwak. So if you guys had watched The Bucket List, there's a movie, one of the items in The Bucket List was actually to, to have this coffee. So I'll tell you a bit about this one. I was actually in Bali not too long ago. I love coffee myself. 
So since I watched that movie, I was like, I would definitely would have to try that at one point. So this time when I was over there, I actually got to see the whole process. So let me tell you a little yeah, bit about Kopi Duak. That's what they actually call it. So it's quite interesting. It's apparently a sort of a cat that actually picks up the most ripest of the coffee bean and actually eats it up, swallows it out. Uh, Snot doesn't swallow. I shouldn't probably say that, what the process is really like. (laughs) But if you can imagine, it's a little nugget uh, that is left over. But uh, what really comes out of it is uh, actually the, the most divine coffee that you would ever have. Wow. It doesn't really have much bitterness. It's really wonderful. So... I wonder how somebody figured that out. <laughs> so it's interesting right. that you say that because uh, uh, I was looking back at the history on this, right? So yeah. when the Dutch was there in that area, they decided that, you know, the, the coffee would be for certain people, right? So the local folks weren't, didn't have access to this. So as they didn't, they saw that, you know, this particular cat was actually roaming around and eating all of this and leaving all of that. So then this, they tried it and they found out that how good it is because the, the process, it actually really cleaned the bean that you wouldn't otherwise get. So it is quite interesting. Wow. Yeah. I mean, if I was to really tie that with something, uh, maybe we can try that after, after this, right? Hell yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I would love to try it. Wonderful. That's awesome. Thank you for bringing that. Of course. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Coming up, you'll hear about implementing data science across your organization We get more global and talk about data privacy. And also, we'll talk about how you can implement AI and machine learning into your data science strategy. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network. And find prior episodes at travelisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. So where we left off, we kind of teased at machine learning. And it sounds like, you know, doing a lot of work (laughs) across these teams. How are you leveraging machine learning at this point? What do you wish it could be doing for your team and for your data science strategy? Yes, I think the vision at Hopper is to expand more the value we bring to customers using data. Mm -hmm. And that in every place where the user needs to make a data-driven decision or has some different considerations, we can be there with our data-driven machine learning advice and help the users in their travel planning journey. Mm -hmm. I think when it comes to the travel industry generally, there's a really interesting challenge with alternative recommendations. So when you think about it, while Amazon or Netflix kind of like figured out what you would want to watch next or what you're likely to buy given the specific item that you look at. At the travel industry, it's really hard to think about someone who does that very well. And when Mm. you search for a trip, suggest you alternative destinations or regions or dates in a very informative way. And I think this challenge comes from the reason that there's a slower feedback loop, right? You watch Netflix Every week or every day, I don't know. (laughs) But most of the travelers travel twice a year. And this is coupled with trillion price itineraries that I can offer you. So I think that this will be super, super interesting challenge to tackle. Hopper definitely started to look at that. I also think that Hopper has some unique environment that might unlock this. Mm. 
right? So basically the idea that we're mobile only so we don't have this cold start. We basically know that you're a user by the device ID from your very first session to your very last and without any friction of you signing up and creating an account with us. We know that it's the same entity. Right. There's also a really effective communication channel. I was about to say, because you have the feature that you're... Yeah, exactly. So there's notifications, right? There's push notifications. And I can basically tell you different things about trips that you search or didn't search for and then see if you react or don't react. And both are very, very informative in order to refine better your upcoming intent, travel intent, like what trip you're Mm -hmm. actually looking for, and also your flexibility. Yeah, I think it will be super interesting to see how the industry goes. I'd be curious what you both think about this, but I mean, do you think travel as an industry is just going to get further and further into content? And I don't mean travel content, I mean like consumable media, right? Like there's some startups in, in our community that are trying to be the travel app you use more frequently every day, ideally, right? Like it's how do we merge the the user behavior of Netflix? And, and Netflix seems to come up in the travel industry like, every day because they want that stickiness, that hooked product. Is that something that you think could be leveraged in the strategy? Is that something that could be even implemented or leveraged? It's obviously a different core competency. I mean, it's kind of like a Totally. I think that the lower intent users you acquire, the more frequent you can communicate with them because they're still at the exploration phase. So we definitely see it at Hopper that because we have lower intent users and users search farther in advance with us, they check in much more in the app. Mm -hmm. So users that search with us actually come back to the app every four to five days, which is very... Very unique. Yeah, very unique. It's really not how usually travelers check their travel in line. So because they wait and watch with us, we have much more frequent touch points with the users. It sounds like such an opportunity for like other media without even selling something to them, just something to make them consume. And I think one thing that's really interesting in the travel space is if people think about uh, what media we'd put, well, we'll put a destination and like it's like always travel content, but maybe that's not necessarily what's necessary. You know, it's like Spotify and Delta, like, you know, getting these types of media brands to be more aligned with maybe distributors. It's just a thought. I don't know. I mean, you have uh, Zamadeus uh, has a, a massive suite of products in this live travel space that are even just getting even more rolled out. And I think some of those are along the lines of like ad tech solutions. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. I think for us, as challenge is a little bit, well, in the same line, but pose a bit of a different challenge. Mm-hmm. The way that we are trying to look at it is the low intent users, for example, mm-hmm. equates to a lot of searches that are coming on right. our site, right? right. Um, so that means, you know, during the inspiration, you have now IOTs and everything, every means of ways you are getting inspired. So you want to check on that. I mean, we right. even see like uh, sometimes if someone is watching a show, all of a sudden we see that the search of that particular destination started going up, right? Mm-hmm. So what does that mean on the back end of things? So let's, let's look at that because that would mean for us to actually also serve the content. And we need to then connect with all the providers to actually build all that and give it to you. But at the same time, what is important is the response time that we need to send it to the customer. So we need to really find a good balance of how we actually provide the content, but do it uh, intelligently. 
And that's how we actually bring in data science, machine learning, and all of that. It's actually built into the DNA of the search right now because we are looking at different ways of doing things. When we search, it's not necessarily just search for the cheapest flight. We actually look at what is being booked, which ways people are actually traveling. So we actually take that and we inject it. And we've seen a great results with it. Now we see that some of our partners were able to get 6% more cheaper fares by doing things this way, mm-hmm. by looking at how things are being converted and all of that. So that's one thing. Another ways we look at it is how we are actually partnering with our airlines, right? Uh, we get a lot of content from them on the availability side of things, right? So this would mean to a lot of polling, availability polling and all of that. So how do you make sure that you don't poll too much Right, So we are using machine learning to figure out what would make sense, what would make sense to actually poll or not poll, but at the same time ensure quality. Mm-hmm. So yes, there's a lot of data science happening behind the scene. That's super interesting, I, especially um, to think about not necessarily just like the 10% they convert or, I mean, that's a nice number, but like, <laughs> That'd be the great. Ten, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's say, you know, whatever the, you know, not the ones who convert, but the ones who aren't converting. And how to leverage that and get them more on the top of the funnel. That's interesting to think about because that's the lion's share of where real market share expansion could be. A lot of this stuff is anonymized. Where do you see data privacy playing into data science? Do you ever really even have to worry about that because you're just anonymizing it from the get-go? Or Yeah, I mean, of course. You don't want to become creepy. <laughs> users, right? <laughs> right? So you don't want it to feel like you're actually knowing this person too well and... <laughs> follow them in different channels. Saw that your brother Bill also <laughs> booked a flight. To yeah, us. no, totally. I mean, clearly we put a lot of emphasis on data privacy. And when it comes to the algorithms I described, so it's a lot of collaborative filtering where basically we have this anonymized entity that behaves in a specific way and it's similar to other entities that behave in a similar way. And then based on things that the other entities that are randomized liked, we are more likely to recommend you something similar. So we basically find users like you Mm -hmm. and recommend you things based on what those users preferred, but it's just a user entity. I don't really know your name, your credit card, anything. How many entities can you make? Like that's basically making like buyer personas, right? In a way? Yeah. Every user has a specific randomized ID. Right. But I know the randomized ID. I don't know anything about who's behind. Is it really about how they're navigating the site and like what their behavior looks like and that's solely it? Or are there, hey, this is a buyer persona for a Jason in our, you know, journey and they're likely to have X disposable income or what does it it's look both. like? It's this? Okay. It's both. So basically when user comes in, there's a randomized ID that is attributed to this unique user. Each user mm-hmm. will have different randomized ID. Mm-hmm. But again, it's totally out of context of any name. I have no access to anything related to the actual user behind this ID. Uh, And then there's a segmentation on top of it of like groups of users that behave in a similar way Mm -hmm. that can basically benefit from each other's preferences. But yeah, so it's both. It's like user and user segmentation, but again, without any specific identity to it. Got it. Yeah. And Shamim, for for Amadeus' sake, it's like you said, it's like 80% anonymized, right? So with that other... 
20%. Is that all coming through the NDC standard or what does that 20% look like and, and how do you manage data privacy for them? Sure. I mean, still that 20%, we don't know much about uh, the personal information of the traveler themselves. We are able to say the persona of it, the type of traveler they are, but, Mm -hmm. you know, a customer like Amadeus, the scale that we work, and because of our geographic location, we need to ensure that we follow all the mandate. So, yes, uh, data privacy is in the heart of it all, Mm -hmm. of course. But when it comes to data, because of our unique position, the way that we get to see everybody's from the provider sites, the data, when actually produce any reports or any of that sort, we actually really randomize. We don't get to see that whose data is behind just that, right? So if I was to work with a partner as looking to go into a new market, for example, and they're looking for certain data, we don't just say, hey, here is your competitor. There you go. Right. No, yeah. no, of course not. I mean, that <laughs> right. would be you wonderful, really right? But that's what we do. We actually randomize. We actually uh, have protection in place that your data is not identifiable to someone. But at the same time, we give you relevant data in that sense. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you know, data privacy is one thing. I'm sure there's mandates, there's regulations. It's, I know that there are. But the challenge that I've also, I think, kind of alluded to it earlier is like, oh, you know, we have all this data. Like, I have no idea what to do with it. How is it that you can use data science and the learnings and analysis from it and actually get stuff done with it as opposed to just being like, hey, guys, we called that stat two years ago <laughs> and like now we're in the dust? This is a super, super relevant question, and it's actually not that easy. I think it'd be great for Hopper because it's like a data, like, focus. Or totally, started, right? Company, I mean, right. all this vision that I uh, just described, <laughs> so how do you actually do it in practice? Yeah, so we went in quite of a journey because on the one hand, you want a stable app. You mm. don't want to break the app every time you try to hack something and get close to the users, right? So we have an amazing engineering team that keep the app stable and scalable. Mm-hmm. Also with 40 million users and even more, you need to make sure that the app functions and in scale. Mm-hmm. But on the other end, you want to get data science to the customers and have a direct channel and iterate fast and have this customer obsession where You always want to listen to the customers. That means that you always need to be in the face of the customer and show them different things and test things all the time and iterate and optimize. So in the last year, we built a self-serve machine learning framework at Hopper where basically it's self-serve for the data scientists. So data scientists today at Hopper can deploy algorithms in production as Mm. an endpoint and engineers will connect to this endpoint. And that way, basically, the app stays stable and we can break the app as we could before, actually. (laughs) And I have some terrible stories about that. Oh, let's go into (laughs) (laughs) it. But uh, also, the data scientist has full flexibility and control over the brain that and the algorithm that they run. Is there a kind of example, use case for something like this? Of course, it's each and every algorithm. So if before we talked about the flight list, Mm -hmm. most recommended flight on the flight list, right? So what actually happens behind the scenes in the backend, there's a call from the backend to this algorithm, this endpoint that is controlled by data science Mm -hmm. with the flight list. And it's the full flight list that we get from the provider. And then the brain runs. 
based on the flight list and the user computes the most recommended flights and basically it's a scoring function. Hmm. The higher score, the better, the most recommended. All the science happens there and it returns the flight list to the stable backend with another column of scores. And then it takes it and moves it to the front end and we present it to the user. So the only thing that happened here is that there was a call with the flight list, there was a scoring function happening, mm-hmm. and we return it back. So if something breaks there in this brain, there's still a call in the back end that will show the flight list to the user anyways. So the app doesn't break. I see. But if this succeeds, we basically show the most recommended flight in the flight list for, yeah. And if now, for example, we come up with a great idea here and we want to change the way we score a model or want to implement a totally different algorithm or we want to create a competitive environment and actually create challenger model to the champion model that we mm-hmm. currently have, everything can be handled by the data scientist without any engineering work. Interesting. So you can basically control the amount of calls that are being pushed through and like test for a certain percentage of traffic or something Exactly, like because the schema of the call will be the same. Yep. It's just how you compute the score, which is in this brain. Yeah. And also you can partition and deploy, so you can create a randomized sets of users that will mm-hmm. be exposed to different treatments, to different algorithms, and see which one performs the best. So in this case, probably like final progression or conversion will be the KPI. Mm. And... That's why you basically enjoy both worlds. <laughs> that's, that's great. I mean, so basically the answer to implementing it across the rest of the organization is get it out of the Instagram organization and, and do something that's like it's not totally getting, safe. Yeah, I think it's basically create a window to the app. And wherever the best podcasts are found. It's basically create a bridge between the engineering team and the data science team that mm-hmm. will allow engineering to continue have the scalable and stable solutions and data right. science to have control and flexibility over building the algorithms and iterating on the algorithm. So it's literally like a window to the app for data science. It's a great analogy. Yeah. Metaphor? Metaphor? That's a metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) And what on your your end, Shimi, how do you guys roll something out from a new data science perspective? Like how is it infused into the rest of the organization? Yeah, I mean, uh, just thinking about that, this reminds me a lot about the A-B testing that we actually do with our partners. Thinking about conversion, for example, this has been an ongoing effort for a long, long time. So our customers identify a challenge, right? You know, how do we actually go into a market, right? So they come to us, we kind of identify what needs to happen there. Then from then on, we actually look into the data, what really makes sense, how close we can get to the results that they're looking for. So there's a lot of iterations that happens on that. We work together with the partner or we do it on our end as well, right? Mm -hmm. So yes, we see a lot of feedback. A lot of expertise actually has been built on that market base, you know, customer base and all of that. And we're able to roll that out pretty clearly. Another challenge that we are facing recently, which is the influx of all the searches that are coming in, right? Mm -hmm. How do you return the right uh, information to the right customer? Sometimes it could be that, you know, someone is just searching. They don't really care for it. They're not willing to buy right there. But if you think about the number of searches that are coming into our system, right, how do you return fastest response time? On those instances, we are actually running data modeling to figure out what sort of ONDs or origin destination could actually go into an instant cache, for example, mm. versus some of it that you want to run in transactional base, right? So we see if the uptake of those searches that are coming in but that are not converting, 
we have the ability to actually switch that in our instant cache. And again, once we see that, so this is quite dynamic. And that's one of the examples I can give you. Super cool. Oh, man. Awesome, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think there's another super important thing when it comes to machine learning uh, mm -hmm. in scale. It's also data integrity. So, you know, probably like... Garbage in, garbage, garbage out. Garbage in, garbage out, right? right so yeah. I think that another fundamental piece of this puzzle is to have data that you can trust because mm -hmm. you can create very fancy and write machine learning algorithms that will solve your problems, but if your the data that you train the algorithms on is inaccurate, you basically did not too much. So yeah, <laughs> if I could elaborate on that, because it does impact your return on investment, for sure. You know, yeah. if you are providing a solution out there, you know, go into the meta market, for example, right? And they actually watch out for those nowadays, right? They mm -hmm. see if it is bookable, right? If it is converting or not. And based on that, you may get a ranking, you know, you may get a higher one or a lower one. So it is, it is quite really important that you understand what's quality of data that is coming in. And if you look in the future, right, with all the NDCs coming in, you know, data is getting fragmented. I'm sure this is probably something you guys are really investing a lot of time looking at how totally. you're going to consolidate all of that. And that's where I would probably showcase our, you know, Amadeus travel platform. And we're thinking ahead how we can actually solve this problem for our partners. Yeah, it's funny. I was just talking with some of your team members about that and just how it was going on Skift and the Beat Live about the fragmentation in this space. And it's, it's just becoming even more complicated with the NDC rollout. Entrepreneurista, a woman who organizes and operates a business, taking on greater than normal financial risks in order to do so. One who has a drive, passion, and vision with an undying determination to succeed. She is fiercely motivated, ambitious, and competitive, forging her own path to independence and success. That's an entrepreneurista. Through the conversations on the Entrepreneurista podcast, we want to celebrate failures reflect on successes, and get unfiltered about what it takes to be your own boss. This is the Entreprenista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have, with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done, and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram, with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Check out all our latest episodes at entreprenistapodcast.com. This is our last segment where we get to know you guys a little bit more outside your work, you know? <laughs> so I think I got a good one for you. What is the most memorable childhood vacation that you can think of that didn't go as planned? <laughs> wow. I, I do have one. I do have one. I did go on a vacation, and this was in Johannesburg, South Africa. So we went with some of my friends, part of a school trip. So we went to see, explore this mine. So it actually goes almost... You got me so nervous already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we wanted to see what that looked like. So they actually ended up going one and a half kilometer from the surface, I believe. Oh, wow. And as it goes down, you, know, you can feel how cold it's getting, right? So... Once we are down there, we had to actually swap out two different lifts. And then on the way back, one of the lifts that is supposed to come up 
it's completely shut off. So yeah, that uh, <laughs> oh kind of reminded God. me of a three-hour experience. Uh, that uh, sheer panic. And uh, since then, I refused to go to any mines uh, anymore. <laughs> yeah, so no more cave exploration. So yeah, that was. Uh, how old were you? Do you remember? I was uh, thirteen. Oh my God! Yeah. Did you guys like get all like Lord of the Flies and like freak out on each other and stuff or like <laughs> we were pretending we no we didn't matter but you know inside oh yes that's a different story <laughs> <laughs> and this um, is the time we didn't have any cell phone besides uh, probably wouldn't have gotten any network anyway at, at that so yeah so it just started back up randomly or did somebody come no down? someone actually came oh, down God. and yeah they fixed that how about you. I tried to think about some disasters that happened to me. I don't have too many, but there was one in Peru, actually, when I did rock climbing. And it was kind of like free spirit one, and the guide was someone from the village nearby. It was not well organized, I guess, and while I was climbing there, the rope got released somehow, and I fell Oh my yeah. gosh. That's Nothing terrifying. really happened to me somehow by miracle. But I do remember this like therapeutic moment of me falling down and just seeing the uh, the rope there. But it wasn't like too do you have like, Do you have like dreams about it? Because no. I feel like. <laughs> no, I just remember. I was like, okay, that's not the plan. But I mean. <laughs> oh my God. Do you remember how high it was? Yeah. Probably not too high. I okay. believe that I remember it higher than it actually was because nothing really happened to me, but okay. it was very unexpected. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's terrifying. <laughs> Do you remember how old you were? Uh, I was 18. Okay. Gosh. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I, can't, <laughs> I can't even think of one, so I'm, I'm very impressed that you guys came up with it. <laughs> well, thank you both for coming on and sharing your expertise. Is there a final thought that you'd want to share, a reflection of maybe what we talked about? today or you know just overall your experience in the industry well just looking at cafe luak again if i could just bring an analogy on this i wanted to bring up what the future is bringing in with the whole travel fragmentation i think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for startups right mm-hmm. um, you know how to actually find the best of content right and uh, just like this coffee here if you were to find out uh, i think you need to find the best combinations right and then ultimately you'll be able to find the refined refined result and uh, you know you should really watch out Voyager HQ the space uh, itself what Amadeus has to offer there as well because ultimately uh, once we are going to go in that portion of travel there will be some really interesting challenges and there will be space for innovation as well so yes so understand that thanks for sharing how about you Alan I mean, I'm super excited to see where the travel industry goes in terms of AI. I think that there's a good start, but definitely a huge opportunity. And it, it's always being mentioned as one of the industries with the biggest potential when it comes to what machine learning can do. Awesome. Well, how can somebody get in touch with either of you? could be your Twitter, your Instagram, your email, you or the work you're doing at Hopper and Amadeus. You can find me in LinkedIn, and then uh, also you can reach out uh, via Amadeus for Startups. There is someone always monitoring that, and we'll be happy to provide you some info. Yeah, same. So LinkedIn always works, and we also have our contact info on our website. So, Well, thank you again. This was really fun. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.
This has been Travel is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2019. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network. And find prior episodes at travelisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, your inside voice.